I would say the number one red flag as a runner that we want to watch out for is like a bone stress injury. So, or like a stress fracture to the hip. This is probably the number one thing that I am never going to ask a runner to run through. And so we just want to clear that and have peace of mind around that. The symptoms of that can really look different people, but mostly like somewhat unrelenting pain. Like it's kind of always there. It could be like a little dull, achy. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 39 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today, we are talking all about hips and hip health with Dr. Sarah Cologne Louis. She talks about the role that hips have in our running, great tips on how to keep them healthy. And also just kind of like warning signs, what you can run through, what you can't. And we talk specifically about hip health related to pregnancy and postpartum. Some more about Sarah. She's a fellowship trained doctor of physical therapy who specializes in treating women runners with hip pain to enable them to return to running pain-free, faster, and with more confidence. You probably know her on Instagram as Dr. Sarah the Hit Doc. We're going to get to our conversation with Sarah after this short message from our sponsor, Runner. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. All right. Hey, Sarah. It's great. Well, I can't see you, actually, because we're having connection issues, but it's good to hear your voice in real time. Yes. Same to you, Whitney. (laughs) You can see me, though. I can see you. Yeah. You can see I just got out of the shower and I may be eating an apple throughout this. We'll just have to mute me chewing. (laughs) That's fair. I'm drinking my coffee, which you can't see. Yes, because it's early where you are. Well, early-ish. Yeah, it's, you know, not super early, but it's still morning time. It's still morning, yes, and we're we're afternoon over here. Okay, so I want to talk about hip health because it is so important for runners, especially female, well, all runners, but like I feel like a lot of female runners struggle with hips. But before we get to that, I always love to hear my guest's backstory of how they got into what it is that they do, or if they're a runner, how they got into the sport. So I don't know actually really anything about your history. So usually I'm like a little bit warm, but I'm coming in cold. So I'd love to hear your story. Yeah. So I'll talk about kind of how I got into running and then how I got into what I do, which is working with women runners with hip pain. But I grew up playing soccer. So I feel like the progression to running for me once I stopped playing soccer in college was just a really easy transition for something to kind of fill that void. I ran a marathon, I think in high school, which I really enjoyed. And then in high school? Yeah, I ran it in high school, which was weird. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) But yeah, I did it. I'm guessing somebody encouraged you to do it. 
Like, did you do it with a family member or? It was some girls on my team. And to be honest, we were like in season and didn't train. I don't think we trained past like 14 miles. So the actual race itself was awful. And I'm a little bit scarred from racing because of that experience. So now I really, really just enjoy running to run. Um, I have a half marathon curse. So every time I'm ready to race, something happens. So I've signed up for three or four half marathons that have all gotten canceled or I got injured or something. Um, We're going to break that curse. I know. Yes. I'm ready to go. But in grad school is I think when I really started to like notice my pace was improving and like my overall fitness was improving with running and I was getting more into the different types of running. And I just really, really fell in love with like the mental relief of what running does for me. Yes. So many of us, I feel like that's what really, truly gets us. It's just the mental aspect of it. Okay, so then did you always know that you wanted to get into physical therapy or how did that come about? Yeah, I actually quite literally always knew. There was a girl on my soccer team. Her mom was a physical therapist. And just the idea of it and kind of like the essence of who she was, I was like, wow, that is really cool. Like, I just enjoy that you get to talk to people, be with people. I loved anatomy and physiology growing up. We had like a high school anatomy class, which was really rare, but I got into it then and just kept pursuing the track towards physical therapy. I went to physical therapy school for like right after undergrad. So I went for three years. I fell in love with orthopedics, which I didn't think that was going to happen, but it did. And then I did a year residency right out of school to specialize in manual orthopedic physical therapy. And then I did a year of fellowship after that. So that was like nine years of schooling, which was wild. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a lot, but I had a lot of really, really great mentorship in my residency and fellowship. And in my job that I was working at at the time, I had a ton of fit and active moms that were coming in with labral tears, hip pain. And I would say of all of the people that I worked with, they were just the most discouraged based on what their options were and what the medical system was telling them. So basically, they were just not giving them options or saying that you should go to the surgeon and then the surgeon would deny them surgery. So it was like, how frustrating. Yeah. Like, what do you want me to do? They just were so like hopeless and scared and frustrated in a lot of pain. So I really took it on myself to like learn a lot about labral tears and different hip pathologies. And I love working with runners. So I feel like that is where my passion grew to start my own practice to focus really just on this and give the women care that they need to return to a really high level activity, which is running with hope along the way. I love that. I've talked to many healthcare professionals on this podcast with a similar mission as yours, like just give them the hope back and keep them running. And I just love that that is a trend now because they're like the old guard is still like, just stop running. It's not a big deal. Just stop it. It's too hard. And just, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of lazy. They just don't want to figure it out and they don't want to help you because it's not like a life threatening, but it is like a life quality situation. So hip problems are so common in women. And isn't it like there's some stat where it's like a very high number have or labrum tears and they don't even know it and it doesn't bother them. But 
Then there are the other ones who like it's painful all the time and it aches when they're sleeping. And is that true? Like a lot of people have it and they don't even know. Yeah, it is a really high number. I don't remember it off the top of my head. I want to say it's it's 60% or higher that have labral tears and like, you know, don't even know it or they do they very much so do know it. But how I describe our bodies, like things going on inside of us, like a, at a joint level is anywhere, like in the hip or in the back or in the knees, whatever, like our skin wrinkles on the outside of our face, our body is going to wrinkle on the inside of our body. So we're going to have osteoarthritis. We're going to have like degenerative issues. We're going to have potentially even like bulging discs. We're going to have labral tears. And these things are somewhat normal in a degenerative sense. And if you had an MRI of your body tomorrow, I'm sure you would be amazed at all the things that are going on in there. I know. <laughs> to me, I'm like, ignorance is bliss. Let's not. Yes. Know. Yeah. And it should be like, you don't have to have fear around what that hip looks like on an MRI because you know what? Your left knee probably looks worse and you don't even feel it. Yes. I think I may have told you this because you were helping me. I was having hip pain. I've never had hip pain as an adult. And yeah, I got an x-ray and the doctor was like, just the way that your body is made, you have like a slight impingement and, but it's not an issue for running. It's not an issue. Like don't be marching around and, you know, really like extending your leg up. But other than that, it's fine. And it's, and I just, you know, I'm like, anytime you look closely, I'm sure if I got an MRI, it'd be look much worse. But yeah, like we are not perfect, symmetrical beings. Like there's always going to be issues and yeah. So I think that's good to know because I think lots of people, I am always in full support of imaging, especially when you've been dealing with a problem for an extended amount of time and you've tried to remedy it. And like lots of times you're just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it's going to fix. And then you realize that the problem was actually something completely different. But I think going into that, knowing that they are going to find something regardless, and that doesn't mean that you're broken is really important. And like you can look at like the most perfect runner with the most perfect stride and they're going to have something too once you if you look under the hood. Of course. I love that analogy. Actually, I don't love that analogy. It's a really good <laughs> analogy that like we wrinkle, you know, true. wrinkles on the outside. It's just true. I don't like it. You know, I'm very like, you know, I'm in my 40s now and I'm like, age is just a number. But I mean, it's true. I mean, <laughs> things are degrading inside. Yeah. It's just nature. I mean, just <laughs> we just have to be smart about it. We just get better with time. That's really what happens. There you go. We are fine wine. Yes. <laughs> we get stronger and a little bit, you know, some bulging discs and wrinkles along the way. But it's no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the role that the hips play in our gait cycle. Yeah, that is an excellent question. So I would say in, do you want to know in the gait cycle or in the running cycle? Oh, well, my goodness. I thought they were one and the same. I guess they're not. They are very similar. The phasing is a little bit different. So in walking, we have like a couple moments of double limb stance where both of our feet are on the floor. And then in running, there's like this period or phase called the double float phase where both of our feet are elevated off the floor. So we never have like the same foot on the floor. So yeah, like we'll talk about the running gait cycle. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So mechanically, it is pretty much similar. There is just less moments in each of the phases. But for the hips, the hips are 
I mean, they're really like right in the center of our being. And I would say that like the hips and even like the low back going up one segment is kind of like where everything stems from. So if you talk to like a lot of physical therapists or manual therapists that are like really, really in tune with like looking at people's like bodies and kind of where they maybe like have mobility deficits or Uh, just things going on, I would say like the low back and hip area is just a spot that we really zone in on and can like find a lot of deficits in people. So the hips and low back are like just the really like the core to what we do as runners. Not to say that there's anything to be overlooked in like the foot or even like the neck, but I personally just love kind of starting with the the back and hips and zoning on that. I feel like who was it? I think it was Jay Dashari talked about like the hips. They're like the steering wheel, like the trunk is like the steering wheel of your body. That's really cool. Yeah. And and like a lot of his exercises and his book, I forget, like Running Rewired, I think it talks about like the can. I think he calls it the can and like just making sure like, you know, there's health there because if there's an imbalance in your hips, then the rest of your body is going to follow. So it's kind of like ground zero. And so, I mean, like a lot of, I don't know, I feel like a lot of exercises that we try to do, like drills and stuff are very focused on like, like your hip extension. Yeah. How important is that? Because I do hear mixed things about like, like you actually, like sometimes you look at these pro runners and it looks like their, their knees drive up pretty, they have a very strong knee drive. But then I also hear like, actually that's, not energy efficient because you're lifting your leg up too far off the ground as far as, you know, just being an economical stride? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. I would respond with two different things. So I would say if you are a professional runner and this is your livelihood, this is your career, it is definitely worth it. I mean, it's definitely worth it to get the full like running analysis. You probably have like a whole team that's like watching your stride and like you have the ability to change your running cycle and like make these differences to have like the perfect amount of hip extension for what you have to do. If you are like a recreational runner and you don't have all of those like tools at your disposal, don't worry about it. There is like really good research to state that, um, changing your running cycle and cadence and kind of like how you perform it might actually do more harm to you than good if you don't have like the appropriate coach and tools to guide you through that. So if you don't have help, it's okay. Keep running how you're running. Yeah. If it ain't broke, why fix it kind of? Exactly. Yes. But then for the hip extension, hip extension is quite limited in our population because we have a lot of people that sit for work. We're a little bit just, I don't know, less active, which causes the hip flexors to get nice and tight. And then we have limited hip extension. But what I would always back into is like, what do you need for your running. So do you run a lot of hills and you need like increased hip mobility to like pick up your leg and then swing it back behind you? Are you like a sprinter that maybe needs like a little bit more push off in your stride? If you don't need like a ton of hip extension, if you can get there passively and actively and then also recruit it in your your gait cycle, then then you're good to go. So does running make our hips tight too, or is it typically people who sit a lot? Because I know runners notoriously have tight hips, right? 
Yeah, it can be a little bit of both. I would say also it really plays into genetics as well. Like some people are just stiffer human beings and they actually might benefit from like a true hip mobility program as well as like stretching after running. However, there's also people like myself who if I stretch my hip, it like just pops and clicks and does all of those things. So it's not necessarily like super beneficial for me to do that. But I would say being able to move through the full range, it's a required skill for running. So how do you know if like, would you do hip circles or how would you know if you have full hip range of motion? And know that you would benefit from doing like a hip opening yoga sequence after your run. Yeah. I would say if you struggle with tightness, like if you get back from your run and you're like, I actually just feel so tight and it continues to persist past that, like, because I know right when I finish running, I almost feel like achy sore. Like my legs are kind of just like so heavy. If it persists past that, like heavy period and you're starting to continue to feel sore throughout the rest of the day. That or not sore, but just tight, then yeah, I would say you would totally benefit from like a hip opening mobility series. Yeah, I really enjoy doing a hip opening, like just five, 10 minutes after like there's one, I mean, I love yoga with Adrian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anybody's awesome. listening to this, like, yeah, she's got a really good sequence. And I just honestly, like, I just try, I mean, I have tight hips and I think that's just, I mean, I think it's probably from running and I just really, like the kids are taking a bath or something. I'm like dropping down into my pigeon pose or lizard pose or I'm like child's pose. Just how many times can I say pose in a minute? Uh, (laughs) Just to kind of keep things limber and keep it open and always make sure I do like my hip circles and stuff like that before I run. Are there, it just feels good. I don't know. Like, I just feel like it helps just keep everything looser. And as a runner, you don't want to be too loose. Like, you don't want to do that static stretching before you run. But are there, like, certain movements or routines that you recommend for just every day just to promote overall hip health, regardless of if you have any issues? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So I would say the biggest thing that I'd be a proponent of is just a regular strength training program. And when I say regular for runners, like that's a lot to ask for because sometimes we run we're running. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. running a lot. But truly the power of a very well strength training program. How many times can I say program? <laughs> <laughs> you are programmed to I'm say program programmed. on this it, program. Yes. <laughs> If you can do it truly one to three times a week, even just once a week, there is going to be huge benefit because a lot of the strength training moves that you have to do require you to move through a large range of motion, which is going to vascularize and mobilize the tissues around your hip to be able to allow you to run like more comfortably and then also just stronger. So I'm a huge strength training person. And then the second thing that I would say is just running hygiene. So you have to look at what is good for your body. If you're running five days a week and your joints feel terrible and you're stiff and achy and sore, then we need to just like come up with a better game plan for you. So maybe you do good with two days on, one day off or like one day off in the middle or really changing up what kinds of runs you're doing so you're not leaving the week feeling like crap. 
Yes, listening to your body is always key. And like, and knowing too that that's, it could just be a season. Like maybe you ran five days a week and you took a break and you came back or you got sick or injured or whatever. And knowing that, okay, maybe dropping down to four days or three days and a lighter day for a couple of months and then kind of segueing back into more volume is what's best for you in that period. I, j- I think so many people get like stuck in, they get historical. You know, they're like, oh, this is what I used to do. So my body should be used to it. And it's always the case. And that's when we get into trouble. I like your use of running hygiene. Yeah. That's a good term. I like that. I was like, take a shower after? (laughs) Yeah. I heard that one time and I was like, wow, that is actually amazing. And I really feel like that is like probably the cornerstone of my practice. Like in my practice, I take on clients both in person and virtually. And with my virtual clients, I can't do nitty gritty PT because I'm not there with them. So it really does turn out to be more like prescriptive exercises and then run coaching. And I am really, these are women that have, you know, known labral tears, like history of potentially severe hip pain. So we are really working on improving their tissue tolerance to be able to run and be comfortable with it and not be in pain after. So for us to figure out what is their level of comfort and then building them up on that, I really take into consideration like their personal running hygiene and how they can do it more comfortably or run more comfortably. That's awesome. You prescribe exercises for them. Yeah, I really have a lot of fun doing it. And it's always funny because they're like, I've never done this exercise before. Like, like these things are honestly kind of strange, but I'm getting better and I really like it. So we're just going to keep going with it. Are some of the examples on your Instagram, these strange exercises? Yeah, I would say so. I would say some of them are, I'm trained in like a, oh my gosh, if I get this wrong, I'm going to be so mad, but I think it's like Norwegian. I think it's Norwegian. Well, just just say it with confidence and, and nobody will question you. It's Norwegian. I'm trained in a Norwegian <laughs> brand or Scandinavian. I don't even know. Norwegian brand of physical therapy. And so our exercises are just so wild. But you know what? They work. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, the Norwegian style of training for running has been really hot of late. So... That makes sense. We'll just go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So would one know if they have, like, I know, obviously, it's recommended that you include some sort of hip strengthening in your programming for strength. And a lot of what you, most people are probably already doing, like squats, hip bridges, that sort of thing, lunges are going to address that. How would you even know that you need to focus more on your hip strength? How would you know if you were suffering from weak hips? Is there like a sign with how you feel during run, after the run, a particular exercise where you can test your strength? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say during the run, if you notice like a... There's two things that come to mind. If you notice imbalance with maybe running hills, like when you're going up the hill and you're, you have to pick your leg up, if you notice like one side is harder for you to pick up or kind of fatigues out quicker, maybe indicative of like a hip flexor weakness on one side. It could be other things too, but could be that. And then also if you notice like a drop in your pelvis, like every time you're running, you feel like there's kind of a a drop towards one side. It might be really slight, so you might not even notice it, but that could be indicative of like a hip weakness 
I actually just created this program. It's called the Runner's Self Checkup, and it's a way for you to look at your body and kind of how you move. I basically take you through my running assessment that I take all of my runners through, and I show you how to score yourself via like videos and a written guide. And you can see, oh my gosh, like my right hip totally drops down or I can't stand on a single leg because my ankle is like wobbling in and out. And then there's like a corrective exercise program with it. So I really like that tool for you to just be able to get like a glimpse of, okay, what does my body do? And maybe why am I so injury prone to X, Y, and Z happening? Oh, that's great. We'll have to include that link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to, to try it out for sure. So I lost my train of thought for a second when you were talking about that because I'm thinking, well, you're talking and I'm like, all my injuries have been on my right side. I wonder if my right hip is the problem. Yeah. And (laughs) this thing I created, like, I think I've done it actually in a couple of workshops that I've been hosting in the Seattle area, just like a glimpse of it. And it's so fun to just have people get their light bulbs to turn on and be like, everything's on the right side. I lean this way. My right knee comes in, whatever. Like, it's just fun to get people to see their body and not be like, oh my gosh, like I have all these things wrong with me. It's like, no, like if you're actually feeling better then like, let's just do a couple things while you're feeling better to like make that right side stronger and more coordinated or whatever it is. Yeah. And it could, I mean, and when you think like, oh, I have all these things wrong, if you go, usually it's like up the chain or down the chain. So if it's, you know, it all emanates from the hip, the steering wheel, you know, and it's like you fix that. And then the other things maybe could resolve themselves too. Yeah. That's just how I like to think anyways. No, it's so (laughs) true. Like I have a hip injury on my right side and I actually think it all stems from my right ankle and having so many ankle sprains growing up. So there's always something that can, that can drive it. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a repetitive sport, and so it makes sense. Like, if you have one little cog in the wheel or whatever, it's just going to, it can create problems over time. So, okay, so if somebody's experiencing hip, what are some red flags? How do you know if it's something that you can continue to run with or something that you need to really stop, pay attention to, and go see a physical therapist or doctor? Yes. Because there are some pain, I mean, some like discomfort that you can run through. What are the red flags that we need to look for? Uh, Great question. So the number one, well, there's a couple, but I would say the number one red flag as a runner that we want to watch out for is like a bone stress injury. So or like a stress fracture to the hip. This is probably the number one thing that I am never going to ask a runner to run through. And so we just want to clear that and have peace of mind around that. The symptoms of that can really look different people, but mostly like somewhat unrelenting pain. Like it's kind of always there. It could be like a little dull, achy. It maybe is sore at nighttime when you're trying to sleep. Something that's just not matching up. It's like if you go to do this amount of activity and then rest, it should come down, but it's just not. That's red flaggy. There's also another uh, disease or diagnosis called avascular necrosis, which is a red flag. And it is a like a weakening of, not weakening, but it's a necrosis of the hip. And that's another red flag as well. So if things just like... Is that rare or is that like something that's somewhat common in runners? It's super rare. 
in runners, I would say it's a factor. It's correlated with maybe like high alcohol intake or what, there's another one that I was just going to say, oh, like steroid use, which, you know, those things are not super common in runners. But I always have my eye out for these things because I actually do know a couple of people that have had a vascular necrosis and then a stress fracture as well. And you just don't want to be the person that like misses those things. So, oh, yeah, those are the red, red flags. Maybe like the lesser red flags are. So if you're running and your pain starts to go away, then that's fine. Like you're good to go. If you're running and maybe you start with pain and then it starts to and it stays the same, it's kind of like below like a three to two out of 10, then you're mostly good. It should continue to stay at that level. Like it shouldn't get worse when you're done and it shouldn't get worse as you're running. That's okay, I would say. Maybe proceed with caution. What if it like it worsens if you're going up a hill and then it kind of, you know, it it resolves back down two or three? Yeah, I would also say that's okay because there's like an increased mechanical stress that was placed on it and then it it should resolve. And then after you're done running, it should also resolve relatively quickly. That is a time that I would really just be on on caution. And if you do have like a PT that's like your kind of your person, they're like on your team, they know you, then I think it might be a good time to just say, hey, this is going on like can you just check in with me in like a couple of weeks to make sure that this is still, it's getting better or, you know, what can I do to kind of abate some of these issues? If somebody is facing and, you know, it's been going on for a couple of days, do you recommend icing and heating, stretching? What sort of remedies at home could someone do? Yeah. I mean, ice is an excellent pain inhibitor. So if it's not like a superficial issue, like it's not like a bruise or like a bursa that's like on the very high surface, then ice is largely just a pain modulator. So it'll just allow you to feel a little bit better for that period of time. So I'm for that. If it's acute, heat isn't really the go-to in the literature, but if it makes you feel better, then that's also okay. And then I'm not a huge proponent of stretching if something is irritated acutely because if something's torn or swollen, then you could be just like increasing the tear or pressing against that swollen area. Stuff that I love is like just repetitive motion to the hip. So biking is awesome. Any form of like a gentle like hip opener or like hip swing to get the hip moving and lubricated is that's really my go-to for my runners okay so anything that promotes gentle activity that promotes blood flow yeah yeah what's your take on advil that is also a great question i would say only if it's not a remedy it's just if it makes you feel more comfortable i just know there's like mixed information on whether or not it can inhibit the healing process right Yes. Yeah. Especially if it is muscle tendon, it can inhibit the healing process because it can just impair the metabolic properties to like improve tissue healing. I am not like a huge proponent of it, especially if you're going to take it before a run to maybe like impair some of your, your pain because we're using that as our guide. So I don't love it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think a lot of people don't love it. (laughs) A lot of healthcare professionals don't love it because Often we use it to do things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, We need to listen to our bodies. Okay, so I would love to talk about hip health for pregnant women and then postpartum. Are there common 
issues that mother runners are presented with when it comes to hips after growing a human and then recovering from giving childbirth? Yes, there is. I have had like the absolute privilege of walking with a couple moms through their birth and or not through their birth, but through their pregnancy. I was there. I was there <laughs> with them, of course. I have to have my physical therapist here with me. Yes, of Along course. with the doula. Oh and I'm just kidding. Yeah, I was just part of the team. <laughs> but yeah, I walked with them through pregnancy and then got to see them postpartum as well. And then actually even saw them come back to me for like their second and third child. So that was really fun. That's so cool. Oh my gosh, it was the best. We were just basically friends at that point. But I would say the biggest thing that I see, so as you're pregnant and you're growing, the like pelvic brim or just like the top, you know, really the whole pelvis is expanding. And within that, the parts become less they become more mobile. So the ability for the hip to maybe like torsion or the pelvis to torsion one way or torsion another is super common, which can feel maybe like low back pain, like pubic pain, SI joint pain, or could even like present with hip pain. So working on like a pelvic symmetry muscle energy technique is something that I love to do for my pregnant runners, pregnant mom runners, just to like kind of reset their pelvis. And then I give them a ton of either double limb or single limb, whatever they can tolerate exercises that are going to get them to just gently recruit their abdominals, low back and hips to kind of like maintain that stability of their pelvis. So what's your advice to pregnant women to for kind of nurturing their hip health throughout that process of everything widening and becoming more lax. Yeah. And then ask about postpartum too. So we'll focus on pregnancy. What's your advice to pregnant women for healthy hips? Yes, of course. So I would say, again, some sort of like regular strength training program. And really, it does not have to look like, I mean, it can look as intense as, as pre-pregnancy if, that, if your body is like comfortable with that. But there's a ton, a ton of resources of practitioners, physical therapists that have created like movement through pregnancy, strength training, and just kind of like mobility programs. And yeah, just like staying on top of some of those just to, because what your ligaments used to be doing and like keeping everything nice and tight, they're lax now. So you need your muscles to actually do those things and kind of pick up the slack. So again, even if it's one, two, three days a week, I think you're going to feel like significantly better than not doing some sort of strength training. And then is your advice about the same for women after they give birth or? That's a tough question. I would say yes and no, but I would say my, probably my number one piece of advice postpartum is just like really be easy on yourself. Like you're just not going to be able to get back to what you want to do probably as fast as, as you want to. So like ease back into things and yeah, just be easy on yourself. Yeah, that's great advice all around just for moms, especially new moms. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of words of wisdom do you want runners to take away from you? Like, is there anything that you wish all runners would know or anything you see that's common that you just wish runners would stop doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is going to be good, I can tell. Yeah. I notice this a lot in some of the running groups that I run with. There's like just this constant 
need to sign up for like the next race and the next race and the next race and constantly be racing, which I actually do not think is a bad thing. But I would say just train wisely. So if I was working or when I'm working with my clients, um, I'm like, I want you to go and just pick like the handful of races that you're so excited to run this year. And then let's have those be the ones on the calendar instead of, okay, I'm going to run this marathon. And then maybe like a month later, I'm going to run this marathon. And that in and of itself is not bad because each person has a different tissue tolerance and they might actually be okay to do that. But for where like each runner is at, just, yeah, not overloading your schedule with all of these races and allowing yourself to have a little bit of a deload or an off season or just something to preserve your bod and then get back up into training again. Uh, That's great advice. It hits home because I, you know, ran a marathon a week and a half ago and I'm I'm feeling a little bit unsatisfied with it. And I'm like, I meet with my coach in a couple of days and I'm like, maybe, you know, we can talk about doing one sooner rather than later, which is not the norm for me. I'm usually like very careful and very, especially, you know, after my history of being injured. But I'm like, I think, you know, it can be very tempting to do that because it's such a good feeling. Or if you feel unsatisfied, you're like, oh, I need to scratch that itch. So you're speaking some very wise words. Yeah. Yeah. And it is tough. I mean, it's really tough when you're like, oh, I just want to like get there faster. But I would say, yeah, that's where you get into trouble. (laughs) Yes, it is. And oftentimes like you'll show up a million times better if you do the appropriate kind of, you know, dip down in your training and then dip back up for the next marathon. Yeah. So true. Because when you don't do that, then you end up having to dip down for a very long time. Yeah. Or reasons that you didn't plan for. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. And I love how you just like, you make it all seem so kind of simple and like, yes, hopeful. Like if you have this pain, there is a way forward and it's not this like super complex puzzle that's going to take forever to solve. And I love that you put it that way for people. Thanks so much. Yeah, there is. That's my word for the year is hope. And I just want to bring hope to as many runners as I can and just get them to their goals, no matter what their story looks like. Yes, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and connecting with me. Yes, of course. Thanks so much for having me on, Whitney. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for every episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources we mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, we'd love it if you leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash The Passionate Runner or wherever you listen to podcasts. Talk to you next time.